With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, friends. Hello, Steve. Uh, welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis.com podcast. This is Ed McGrogan, a uh, longer hiatus than our, our typical hiatuses here with the Ed and Steve show. Uh, but uh, we did improve some uh, equipment on, on my end, so I, I apologize for some of the earlier uh, gaffes in the production. Hopefully that alleviates itself, and hopefully we uh, can satisfy your uh, cravings for some more tennis talk here as we enter the fall. I don't know if it's if it's apropos or not, Steve, that after uh, a horrific kind of sports day over the weekend and a pretty, uh, however you want to put it, interesting, pivotal, at least must-watch day in the political landscape in the U.S., we sort of shift gears and talk about the fall season of tennis. I don't know what that really means, but it, but we're here to discuss it for whatever it is worth. I think that's up for debate as well. Uh, you know, what is this season truly worth? It's, you know, the calendar is always really revolved around the slams, and but there's quite a bit of tennis and a, certainly a lot of money on the line after the U.S. Open, and that's what we're here to talk about today. Yeah, there's a lot of tennis. Um you know, it seems like it fades away from the headlines, but it's almost like there's more happening now. Sort of a race to the finish. Uh, I think it's. I think it is interesting um, on the men's side this year with with Novak Djokovic. He comes in a little, you know, a little shakier than he has in in past years, and to me that means that makes this fall a little more interesting where he's concerned. Where where does he go from here? Does he immediately bounce back? He's had a couple. You know, it's the first time in a few years he didn't win either Wimbledon or the U.S. Open. Um, traditionally, he sweeps through the fall. This is, you know, this is almost his best part of the year. Uh, he just kind of seems to relax, play on hard courts, play on his favorite surface. Uh, he won all he won four tournaments last year, but but you know now it starts to feel like it's a lot to defend. Um, is he going to be able to keep doing that? Yeah, and Djokovic was. I think was one of the main reasons I, I'm sort of unsure a little bit on my own side of where I kind of assess and and value that this particular season because you know recently we've we've seen reports um, even a video of Djokovic saying that he really since the French Open um, since finally getting that monkey off his back you know ha- hasn't been able to summon that proper level of motivation and really just desire to win at all costs. And I think it should say something that in spite of all that, he ends up making the U S final open final, regardless winning a master's event in the summer. You know, clearly that's how good Novak Djokovic is and has been for a long time. But, but I, but you make a good point about this is typically a time for him to feast um, on the end of the season. 
and you do wonder if if perhaps we've you know subconsciously or not kind of entered another phase of really his career arc and maybe this fall if for nothing else can kind of tell us a little bit about that yeah i think and i think that's a natural um thing to happen when after he won the french he won four straight slams it had taken him 11 tries to win the french and he finally did it and i think there was a lot in that and a lot you know it would be natural for him to have a letdown but uh he's also had a couple you know some physical problems but but um He's also 29, which makes it more interesting. He's not like he's 25 and this is just a little glitch. It's getting this is right at the point where Federer stopped being as dominant as he was. Nadal stopped being dominant maybe even a year earlier. You know, not many guys continue that kind of dominance into 30. We've seen that people play better when they're older these days, but we'll see, you know, is will we see Djokovic be as dominant as he was or is it going to be it will it just be a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of an opening for other people in general going forward. I think we'll start to maybe you start to see that this fall, how motivated he is to win all of these tournaments. He's always you know, he's never had a problem with that in the past, and maybe he won't this time. But at least there's some question about it. If not Djokovic, then where do you go from? Where do you look for someone on the men's side? Some players that could perhaps pick up a little of the slack here. Um, in terms of uh, really kind of making this season one that can catapult them perhaps to bigger things next year if and, and to say nothing of what they can accomplish this year. I mean, I think Stan Wawrinka is an interesting case right now. What is he, what's going to happen with him? Will he just continue sort of the way he's been in the past couple of years, winning a big one but not winning a lot of the smaller ones? Um, I, you know, or does he, I would feel like after his win at the U.S. Open, that almost felt, felt like something that would move him to another level, that would make him a you know, constantly uh, competitor for, for slam, uh, slam titles and somebody who might even think he could become number one. I mean, he just showed that he can beat Djokovic in, in big matches twice. Like, why, does that, why wouldn't that give him another level of confidence? But, and he made the final this week in St. Petersburg, but then he lost his Zverev, and he showed he sort of showed his inconsistency again at the end of that match. He was ahead, and then he lost, and he's, I felt, sort of felt like, well, there, that, maybe that's the way Stan's just going to continue. But he at least you feel like he should, you know, he should feel like he can win anything at this point. Yeah, you don't even necessarily think about the number one possibility uh, until you until you mention it right there. You know, it's it's always been. You know, Murray is kind of the, the the real challenger to Djokovic at the top there, but you're right to mention Vavrinka in that if if he would develop that week to week consistency, it, it, you know, it's not off the table to suggest that um, you know maybe as as I just said about Djokovic, it's kind of a somehow at 30, you know, another phase of his career too. So. Um, and you mentioned you mentioned Zverev, who defeated um, Vavrinka in St. Petersburg for his first tour title. It was actually the first um, ATP, first teenager to win on on the ATP. Incredibly, since two thousand eight, um, Marin Cilic won back then. You know, I, I, it's it's shocking. It's not shocking in that that's really the year that uh, 
I think the big four sort of began to coalesce a bit more when you factor in Murray and even Djokovic winning Australia back then. But it's it's shocking that, and it's a sign of really the 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 graceful aging of the men's tour of tennis in general, really that it t- it took that long uh, for this kind of a breakthrough. But we have been looking for that from Zverev and from other young players recently. But, you know, for those who didn't see that Vavrinka uh, zverev final, and you mentioned Vavrinka went ahead at the end, but um, it was a, a very strong three-set win by, by the young German. How did that transpire? And, you know, really what did you take away in terms of what we uh, – in terms of Zverev in particular? I feel like Zverev, he had lost a couple finals this year. I Sort of felt like he's he's spent this year. This has been a really good year for him, not just success wise, but also just as far as learning, as far as as far as winning some and then losing some and then learning from those losses. You know, he he lost that tough match to Nadal at Indian Wells where he had a match point, and then he lost two finals. And since then, when he had a chance to beat Federer, he beat Federer, and now in this in the, when he had a chance to win this final, which he you know it wouldn't have been any shame to lose to Wawrinka after being down three love in the third. He didn't lose it. He, I think he felt like, you know, he'd learned enough from the other two and this was his, this was his chance to win. I never felt like, I felt like he was confident at the end and he didn't even need to play spectacular tennis. He just played his game, played, sort of played a solid game, more consistent than, than Wawrinka. Um, and there were some points where he would have thought Zverev would have cracked a little you know, he was expecting it, and I think Stan might have been expecting it, but he didn't. He, you know, hit the right shot. He, you know, came up with the shot of almost what a veteran, what somebody who knows how to win a tournament would hit. So I thought it was it was impressive. The guy is definitely for real. We've heard a lot of talk about him as a future number one. It's definitely a possibility. He's got he's got the shot that all of the top players have the the forehand that he can hit for winners and that he can hit consistently. You know that's the that's the common the the common denominator among the best guys the guys who do become number one and he has that yes and he has the uh, he has the untouchable stuff of great height as well and everything yeah. that comes with that too the only thing I would think is, say is the last winner was Chilich you know I don't know if Zverev wants to be the next Marin Chilich doesn't necessarily mean where he's going to be the next Federer you know Chilich has turned out to be a very good player but it's not like he's dominated the tour so you know you still you still don't know about these things, but Zverev has done. You know, he's had probably the best possible year he could have had. And I think it's it's not. You know, as I was mentioning about where we could see some um, some of the younger players uh, sort of make their mark on this fall, and a guy who who has done that even before the fall at the U.S. Open uh, was Luca Pui, who defeated Nadal at the Open. Um, but he's already followed that up with a uh, a nice run here in the fall, and and I, and as we were talking about earlier, sort of has barged his way into, um, you know that the good sort of crop of of really rising prospects on the tour, you know for those who who had watched who watched tennis very closely, Pui was certainly a known name, but um, but I think given what we've seen lately, we may have to. Um, we should be taking him a lot more seriously as a player who might be uh, a lot more than a, a random upset uh, at a major tournament. Yeah, I think it was interesting to me that he beat 
Puy for his first tournament when he beat Dominic Team, and Team has always had the best year of all the young guys. He's in the top ten. He's won four tournaments, but you know, there's also this feeling that Team plays too much tennis and he can't seem to stop it. You know, he's he just played this tournament in Europe and now he's straight off to a tournament in China. Even after he said it, he admitted at the U.S. Open that he's been playing too much, and it almost seemed like the first half of the year belonged to him. And Puy has kind of come along, had a good Wimbledon. Um, had a huge win, obviously, over Nadal in, in one of the matches of the year at the Open, and now he gets this win. Uh, it's almost like he's, you know, he's now he's up to number 16, which is much higher than I thought he was. Um, so he's sort of the guy who's come along in the second half of the year and put his name in there. Um, and I, his game, I almost feel like it's more of a solid game going forward, even than teams because of his two-handed backhand. The, Team's one hand backhand is tremendous, but but it's always something of a liability in you know there's in, in the game today. And Puy doesn't have Puy just has a very a game that's really built for tennis now, and he he seems to really be coming into it. Uh, he moves really well and attacks really well. I also I, I mean I also really like Puy's temperament as well. I think that's been when we talk about young players and and from what I saw not only against Nadal but you know. Another matches he played, I, I think that is one of you know going beyond strokes to see what kind of um, makeup you have in in really some pretty pressure filled situations. Um, I I didn't get the sense that anything was too big for him given what was in front of him too. Yeah, he seems pretty level. You know, it's, it's almost it's a, he almost doesn't have a, much of a personality that you can describe, or he has much less personality than. You know, outgoing on-court personality than other, think, yeah, other French guys too. Quite honestly, Barrett, obviously, all the other French guys. Um, but maybe that's good. You know, maybe that's good for his game and in, in in the long term. Yeah, it, it's um, and we'll we'll get to Davis Cup. I want to close on that with the men's side after because we didn't get, really get a chance to hit upon that. But I want to move over to uh, the WTA side as well. And you know, we're already in the midst of uh, of a run of very lucrative and strong WTA tournaments. You just had uh, Tokyo, the Pan Pacific Open, where Wozniacki beats Rodwanska for the title. And the, the strong fields and the good purses continue right through from Wuhan to Beijing. Um, today in Wuhan, uh, this is being recorded on Tuesday, so this will age incredibly quickly. But Angelique Kerber first matches world number one. She uh, gets by Mladenovic in three sets. It, it's a it's a loaded it's a major quality field in a 56 player tournament I believe um, sole exception being Serena Williams who who pulls out of Wuhan and next week's event in Beijing with um, with injury planning on playing Singapore um, where should we start with the women's side I mean we, I, I I think it's probably fair at this point to start at the top because I think what Anjali Kerber does as uh, clearly, the player of the year, the new number one, two-time major champion. You know how where she kind of goes next, uh, being that you can't really go any further up. But just how she builds upon that is uh, is very interesting to me. I guess the question now, you know, when she wins the big ones, but can she win the you know, can she win the little ones? Can she win the smaller tournaments? She won two Grand Slams this year, and she won only one other tournament in Stuttgart, um, one of her home tournaments that she was a defending champ. Champion at you know she's had other good results Wimbledon final silver medal at the Olympics but 
but does she become, you know, do, does she become a number one who, um, is the is, prohibitive favorite every yeah, single time? Yeah, is somebody sort of favored every week? And I guess it's the same question as we asked with Vavrinka. Does, does she become someone who, yeah, who, you know, the other players fear more, or is she, you know, is she expected to win every week? Does she? Does she? You know, she's never going to dominate in the way Serena does, but she does she become a number one in that sense. Um, so that that's the next question for her. And, and these two tournaments will will say something along those lines. So far, she hasn't been that person. She's lost some big matches and finals, and she doesn't really have the game. You know, maybe she can develop that game. She doesn't really have the game to dominate like that. She she relies on other people missing at a certain point. Um, she's obviously made herself better and more aggressive, but. Her basic game is consistency, and so, you know that's not. I don't know if that leads to a to the type of player we're talking about here. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, and and, I, and as I mentioned before, uh, Serena's you know punting on these two tournaments for injury. It, it's very hard to envision that she recaptures the number one ranking by the end of this year. Even perhaps given her a winning result in Singapore, so there's, you know, there's that to consider. It, it, it's really, um, it will probably open up 2017. You know, you just kind of think back to where, you think back to where we were a year ago at this time with Serena, coming off of a of another semifinal loss at the Open. You know, so really we're we're in the same situation, but it but it obviously feels a lot differently given how the rest of the year transpired for her and of course you know with a with another year you know on the mileage list you know you you always have to consider that when really thinking of um the immediate future of serena so it's even though serena will not be playing uh for the majority of this fall season I think she still factors her way into discussion as to her really what's you know what's next for her and kind of ultimately her place in the game right now. Yeah, it's she you know she only played eight tournaments this year. Is it, you know is that the way wow. where yeah. she's going to go? I mean, she was she had a strong results at most almost all of them except I guess the Olympics. Um, but you know, and, and she's going to play probably play the ninth in Singapore. It's amazing she's still you know number two in the world. Um, I think it right now I, I sort of get the feeling she, the, the one thing she wants to do and care about is um, getting that 23rd slam. I think she wants to pass Steffi. She wanted, you know, she wanted to pass Steffi at number one for consecutive weeks at number one. She ended up tying her. I think that was something important. I don't know if getting back to number one now after that, after that's over is as important. I think getting that slam that twenty third slam is the one, probably the one thing she has on her mind right now. So you know, even going into next year, that'll be, I would say, that'll be the goal. And other than that, I'm not sure. I think that everything probably revolves around that. That's the, that's the feeling I get with her right now. She had a, kind of a tough ending of the season, some shoulder problems and a couple losses, very unexpected losses to Svitolina and Pliskova. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't lend itself to a feeling like she's she's the dominant player she has been right and i guess it's probably worth touching on really pliskova as well i think i think coming out of the open we certainly could you know coming into the open we certainly entertain the possibility of okay maybe 
given what Anjali Kerb has done throughout the year, it's not out of the realm of possibility to see her taking this, even beating Serena Williams along the way. It didn't come to pass, but that's what we got at the end. But I don't, I don't think anyone, perhaps even on the men's side and women's side, came out of this tournament looking and, and being received so favorably as Pliskova. I, I just I felt like it was just gushing praise for really what she is uh, is capable of and, and may do. Um, you know, given what a you know a very a great performance from start to finish, a very uh, compelling women's final, and you know I think that that uh, you know we may see her in uh, in Singapore, and I think that might be one of um, you know the year end championships to me. I've never been in love with them for a few reasons. Um, I think that the the round robin stage is you know no matter how it's a very convenient schedule, but you're always going to get some kind of wonky results because of the tiebreakers and stuff. You do, you, you get players kind of at the end of the year, really kind of running on fumes. Um, but I often think that players who make it to these events and, and really are put in this best on best for really the first time, it does reveal a lot about them. And if Pliskova happens to, to make it to there, she's in the top eight now. Um, I would like to see her kind of against this gauntlet and maybe you know get a sense of uh, of her standing as well amongst this crew. Yeah, Pliskova is somebody. You know, I was thinking last year we saw Muguruza really make a rise in the fall, and thinking who could do that this time. Pliskova is obviously a player you look at first after her U.S. Open showed what she could do there, showed sort of how much more belief she ended that tournament with than she had before it. I think. Um, we'll see. You know, she's always so has always been inconsistent. That's not going to change, I don't think. But her game is one I think people like to watch because she hits winners. She's very smooth, um, very calm. It seems great serve. Uh, you know, I think she's she's won her first match in Wuhan. We'll see how that goes. But I, I, you know, I think if there's one player that people would like to see, you know, move up and and be there again, it's her. I think also. I think Simona Halep has a chance to have a good fall. She had a really good summer overall. It ended with a good match against Serena, but but she seems like she's she could be primed to do something this fall and 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 move up further. I don't you know I don't know if anybody's going to do what Muguruza did last year, but um, there's there's certainly an opening there for that with Serena out. Yeah, I mean I think that's exactly the way to put it. It's kind of a <clears throat> excuse me a wait and see approach to a degree. Um, like I said, I wanted to end actually on Davis Cup. It's the uh, you know a fall preview would not be complete without a uh, a tournament that practically goes into the winter um, in the tennis calendar. It's uh, Thanksgiving weekend. It's a ways away, but it uh, it is the capstone of the season. And uh, we I know you previewed the the semis, but um, haven't really touched base on the outcome of that since then. I. You know, and the the result is Argentina uh, will travel to Croatia for the for the final. Argentina defeating Britain in a very compelling five set tie for a, a variety of reasons, not just what will happen on the court, but uh, from what Argentina, how they played their hand. You know, um, with Del Potro playing singles and doubles, really because he, from what reports said that he was not. He did not feel he would be able to do another five-set singles on his own. 
even despite his win over Murray in this in the first day and how much of a favorite ostensibly he would be. Regardless, um, and you get Croatia again handing France yet another semifinal uh, defeat. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I look at this final as um, really one of the most important events of Juan Martino Potro's career, not just because of this hex that he can finally end for Argentina. If if you look at how far they progressed over the past 15 years or so, it, it is it is stunning that they have not won a title. They have put themselves in position so many times, but but really for Del Potro in general, and with with this year and the comeback that you know we've heard Del Potro's comebacks kind of time and time again, but but this this one this summer has been something different. It's it's you can feel that it that is a it is a you know a, really a relief for everybody. I think that this guy who who jumped on the scene in two thousand eight and two thousand nine at the time sort of heralding perhaps a new um a new one of the greats in the game and it just hasn't it's it's been that flickering for many times we we've often seen del potro at his best but hardly for long stretches um i think for all those reasons and more you know this could really be one of i think the guy's career defining moments and i think it puts a lot more emphasis um, on an event that's really gotten through, it's gone through some tough uh, times in the media from the players, um, but I think this one has the potential to deliver uh, on a number of fronts. Yeah, I think it's it will be a you know pretty much the perfect end to the season for you know if Del Potro won this uh, helped Argentina win in a way you know his comeback and then Argentina finally getting Davis Cup. The thing about them is they're their sports fans there really want it. You know, it's not it's not like the U.S. in the in the U.S. Um, where it's kind of under the, the the whole thing is under the radar. That it's a big deal there. Some you know somebody like Maradona goes to the away ties, but which would seem seems amazing to me. Um, and they'll be there in Croatia. They travel, um, but I think um, yeah for this past weekend, you know, all the experts, you know, everyone who was watching was just pretty much dumbfounded that Delpo would play doubles after winning a really great match, another one of the best matches of the year uh, against Murray on the opening day, that he would play doubles the next day. Um, and then they would, they would put in Leonardo Meyer in the fifth, in the fifth rubber. But they, you know, they sort of knew what they were doing all along because Meyer is not a, fa- you know, not a famous or top 20 player, but he's a very good Davis Cup player. He was, he was 10-3 and three in Davis Cup singles coming into it, and he showed it. He was... He was too good for Dan Evans. You know, it seems like Argentina knew they had him, kind of in their back pocket, and it, and it worked for them. So that's that's something that Argentina has. You know, in the past they've tended to lose these ties that you thought they were going to win. Here's one that they they were smart and and you know, well, a step ahead of everyone else, and they won a tie that I think most people thought they would lose. So we'll we'll, we'll see about Croatia. I would say also I would feel, I, you know. It would be great for Delpo to win, but I also feel it would be nice for somebody like Chilich to right, win right. Davis Cup. I just think back to that loss he had to Federer at Wimbledon. It was just a, another one of the best matches, uh, devastating loss, mm-hmm. had to be the most devastating loss of anyone had, anyone had this year. For him to be able to come back and, and finish the year with the Davis Cup win, that would also be that would be great to see. And you know, these two guys they've sort of grew up together. Um, 
they've, they've each won one Grand Slam but have never been dominant. Here's a chance for them to get another another big win. Yes, redemption is afoot for sure. It'll be interesting to see if um, <clears throat> excuse me if Del Potro's ranking will be will put him as the top ranked Argentinian, which means that the um, fourth rubber would be Chilich Del Potro. I'm not sure where the rankings have shaken out at the moment, but that's uh, you know that's why you got that Del Potro Murray day one match because <laughs> of uh, you know sort of the the the, the real rankings, but not truly accurate of the of the quality that he's hitting with at the moment so it's yeah. a lot going on in that final as you say um so let's put a cap on this as well and uh we'll resume we'll reconvene next week after wuhan and um just before beijing going i think we'll have a lot more to say and to really to know on the wta side we'll, we'll go heavy on uh the women uh, for that reason, uh, men really do take their time to get going in the fall. Um, women's season ends quite a bit earlier, and with that, you get some really strong fields right away. So uh, thank you for listening. For Steve Tigner, this is Ed McGrogan at the Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. 